0: Good
1: afternoon, and thank you for being here to support the Marie family at this time of need and loss. My name is Robert Elliott, and I serve as senior pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. And on behalf of my wife and all of the incredible body of Christ that is called Calvary Bible Church, I express our sincere Christian condolences to all of the Marie family. And I thank you, family for the great privilege of ministering God's Word today. Oftentimes, the Bible startles. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2, it teaches, and I quote, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. That is startling. God says it's better to be here in a funeral service than over at Atlantis at a party. Because no matter how many parties we attend in life, we cannot dodge our own deaths. And what comes after our deaths is what is forever. And so again, God says to us this afternoon, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Typically, we come to a funeral thinking about our own deaths and what comes next, or so we should. Of course, Larry is why we are all here, but Larry is not here. He is with Christ. Larry is, why, is the reason why we are all here, but while we are here, we would do well to think about what God says about life and death and afterlife. And mercifully, we have the Bible to know what all of that is. Funerals close the eyes of the dead, and they open the eyes of the living. Pastor Frederick Arnett is going to lead us in a time of prayer for the family.
0: Let us
2: pause at this time and commit the family, the Marie family, to the Lord, Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, you are our God and our Father who art in heaven. We pause this afternoon on behalf of the family of the Marie. Lord Larry Marie, who has gone on to be with you. We pray, O God, our Father, that you who are the Lord God who cannot lie will do what is right. We ask, O God, in your grace and mercies as we mourn the death of a brother, a father, and all those who are left behind to mourn, we we thank you for your grace that is sufficient in times like these we call upon the one who cares and understands our frame even when we do not know how to pray Lord your spirit makes intercession for us thank you father for all that you mean to us Help us, O God, to number our days. Lord, make us to know our end and what it is that we need to do to prepare for the day when we come to that place in our lives, when we close our eyes in that. Father, we commit and commend this family to you, we ask that you will strengthen each of them in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grant them your grace, your peace, that passes all understanding. Lord, you, their Father, has given us the power to live, the power, the power to labor, the power to love, the power to serve, and the power to suffer. And like Larry, when death comes, may we be prepared to die in Christ. Thank you, Father, for all that you are and all that you mean to us. For we ask this in no other name, but in the lovely name Of the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord and all God's people said amen Amen.
3: good afternoon grace is sufficient for the believer in every aspect of our lives including moments like these with that in mind let us stand together as we sing of God's amazing grace And the immediate family is invited to remain seated if you wish or to stand. It's up to you. Let's all sing about God's amazing grace. now with the reading of one of the most comforting portions of scripture is Wendy Price with the Old Testament reading. She'll be followed by a solo by Mrs. B. Fowler.
4: I'll read from the Old Testament, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Good afternoon. To the entire Marie family, on behalf of
5: our Sunday school class, we would like to offer our condolences to you at this time.
3: New Testament reading be read by Kevin Murray, nephew. It may be followed immediately by our nation's Chief Justice, Brian Marie with As I Knew Him.
6: A reading from 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 16, to chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer it to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it.
0: Good morning, or good afternoon. Just want to share a few thoughts with you about my brother. At difficult times in my life, I often return in my mind to the wisdom and profundity of the teachings of my parents, which in many ways continue to serve as my compass and my anchor when facing challenging circumstances. In this mood of contemplation, I remember the advice of my parents to always get my priorities right. God, family, and friends, in that order. That has been the bedrock of my beliefs as I faced the vicissitudes of life over the past 60 plus decades. The recent death of Larry has for me, in a very practical way, invoked the intersection of these three core values, and form the basis of my response to the passing of Larry. I continue to trust God in all things, even as I have lost another family member, my big brother. And throughout this unhappy time, I rely with appreciation and affection on the support and comfort of my family and friends. There we have the practical application of the wisdom of that life lesson taught by my parents. God, family, and friends in all things. With this perspective, I wish to share with you a few of my reflections on the life of Larry Kenneth Carl Marie. Like all of us, Larry was a blend of different characteristics and qualities, a nuanced representation of his life experiences and core values. He possessed a strong will which was tempered by a, general, by a genuine spirit of kindness, he was considerate but stern, sensitive but forthright, tender but not openly emotional, gregarious yet reflective in private matters, affable but never intrusive, and charitable in his actions for others, but frugal in his lifestyle." <clears throat> His life experiences softened his edges, sharpened his sensitivity, and enhanced his concern and empathy for others. Those of us who knew Larry and loved him will never forget his wonderful and infectious smile, which could disarm the most daunting adversary and enliven the dearest friend. He was a genuine and no-frills person who had no ears or pretensions and was happiest in his shorts and t-shirts, hanging around his home and playing with his gadgets. Unlike his younger brother, who struggles to change a light bulb, Larry could fix almost anything in the house, and his woodworking skills were well known to his family and friends. Before his illness intervened, we all knew that if Larry was visiting, all those maintenance jobs and long outstanding repairs around the house would be skillfully addressed with enthusiasm and loads of advice for those who would listen. He made the rest of us, who had no talents in those areas, look very inadequate. And my wife, Angela, would sometimes bemoan the fact that Larry lived so far away when I was procrastinating in attending to all those jobs around the house. However, perhaps the most enduring memory of Larry will be his indefatigable spirit and his persistent refusal to complain about his lot in life, even under the most adverse and debilitating circumstances. I am sure that as his health deteriorated, he must have had moments of discouragement and doubt, but he never showed it to us. He was steadfast in his positive attitude towards life even as he was enduring multiple admissions to hospitals for treatment from a cadre of doctors over a period of time. During our many telephone conversations, Larry was invariably upbeat, jovial, and engaging, even though he was often in considerable discomfort and sometimes pain. His medical ailments seemed to defy diagnosis as Larry was in and out of doctors' office's, And while his body was falling and failing him, his spirit and his attitude did not wane until the very end. I often marveled at his equilibrium and his placid acceptance of his deteriorating medical condition, which limited his mobility and his activities. All of this gave Larry a different perspective of life and a real appreciation of the simple pleasures which so many of us often take for granted. For Larry, going for an afternoon drive with his partner and best friend Deborah was a joy. Sitting and talking with family and friends was a treat. Watching television in the comfort of his home with Deborah next to him gave him a sense of security. And pottering around his garage with with all of his big boy toys was one of his favorite pastimes. Larry was a dialysis patient for just over 10 years. And characteristic of his life philosophy, he took in stride all the physical inconvenience and monotony of his three or four visits every week to the dialysis unit. Throughout it all, Larry had an irrepressible sense of humor, often joking about his travails and saying with commendable optimism that life could actually be much worse. I don't think that Larry ever fully realized how much he was teaching all of us through his stoic and difficult journey, particularly over the past five years. Larry demonstrated great courage in his final months. Giving what he was going through, it must have taken all of his strength and zeal for life to keep up his daily activities. In many ways, life was not kind to Larry during his final years with us. But in the words of 2 Timothy, he fought a good fight, he finished the course, and he kept the faith. Nostalgia is at the same time pleasant and painful. We smile and delight in the memories, but they reinforce the loss and the finality of the past. Nevertheless, I found myself reflecting on earlier times. As young boys, Larry and I went off together to boarding school in England. I was 14 years old and he was 16. In those days, there were no cell phones, no emails, no WhatsApp or Skype, and we were a long way from home in the south of England with only letters through the mail as our means of communicating with parents and friends. It was a lonely time. The initial adjustment was difficult and I'm sure that the whole experience would have been very different and less beneficial for me if I did not have Larry to lean on and to provide me with guidance during that time. In every sense, he was the quintessential big brother. Thereafter, Larry graduated from high school in England, leaving me behind. He went to university in the US and continued to live there for the rest of his life with periodic visits to Nassau. While we had separate lives after that, I always found it reassuring and comforting that Larry was there for me. When our father died, Larry was there. When our mother died, Larry was there. When we had family matters to decide, Larry was there. He was a stabilizing influence and a source of inspiration for my family. However, now that era is over, and we are left to give thanks for his life and his immense contribution to our family. I know that Larry loved his daughters, Christine and Erin, very much, and saw them as his ultimate legacy. While he did not wear his emotions on his sleeve, both Christina and Erin, you should know, that he told me many times that he was very proud of you, and your successes brought him the greatest joy in his life. To his partner, Deborah, Your love and support for Larry sustained him through his later years, and he knew that he was very fortunate to have you in his life. We will forever have our memories, the happy times, the laughter, the moments of levity in the midst of a difficult and stressful day, the melancholy times. It is not easy to say goodbye to Larry, but we take solace in the fact that he is now out of pain And we find refuge in those majestic, enduring words in Ecclesiastes, that to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance." This is our season to mourn, knowing that in the words of the psalmist, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and the joy comes with the mourning. I will forever treasure the memory of our special and tender family time we spent with Larry in September of this year when he was in the hospital. The situation was not good. The doctors were not encouraging. His heart had had stopped and he had coded during a dialysis treatment a short time earlier, and he was on life support. His body was invaded by tubes and electronic attachments. He was unresponsive. We talked to him, and we held his hand. We rubbed his head, and we prayed, and we prayed some more. We just wanted to know that Larry knew that we were there for him, and that he was not alone. We waited. He looked troubled in his face and uncomfortable. And then, a few days later, Larry looked in our direction and blinked his eyes. Excited, we asked him to do it again and if he knew that we were there with him. He turned his head in our direction and gave us a deliberate and emphatic blink of both eyes. It was only a small gesture as he could not talk or move his body. But it was a triumphant moment for us. Larry knew that his loved ones were with him. It never got any better than that before he died. But I will always remember that moment. Larry turning his head ever so gently towards us, all gathered together around his bed, and then closing and opening his eyes at our request. It turned out to be his final goodbye message to us. Moments like that put so much of life in true perspective. As in life, so in death, Larry continues to positively influence us. And so we will remember Larry. His generous spirit, his compassionate heart, his disarming personality, and his comforting presence. Larry was a good and likable person. And we will miss him and pray that his soul rest in peace.
7: river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear clouds be rolled back as a scroll
1: a penetrating question for the man in the pulpit and for the persons in the pew. This afternoon's Bible message is called The Beauty of Weakness, and it's based on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. I am from Canada, the land of lakes and forests, and I've noticed something. The trees huddled together in the dense forest are perfectly straight because they are protected. But I've noticed that artists don't usually paint perfect trees. Usually, they paint imperfect trees, misshapen trees, gnarled trees, trees that have stories to tell us about distress. These trees are scarred, and they're stunted by the cruelties of nature. But that's what makes them interesting. That's what makes them beautiful. Broken is beautiful, and not just with trees, but also with persons. Weak and wounded trees have more character, and more often they are painted to make art. Larry Marie was such a tree. As we have heard in these moments, for 10 years he was on dialysis, In the last one and a half years he was in and out of the hospital. He suffered several falls. Larry battled hard, and through his battles he cared about the people he loved. He often asked them about their well-being before they could get a chance to ask him about his. God delights in underdogs those who are challenged, those who are on a first-name basis with suffering, those who the rest of us might overlook, those who leave us not quite knowing what to say, those who pick faith over fear, those who bring dignity to adversity. But God not only delights in underdogs, God uses underdogs, those who have a lot to teach us to the gnarled trees. Those underdogs have a lot to teach us undistressed trees who think we have it all together. No, it's the weak and the wounded tree and the weak and the wounded person that we ought to listen to because God delights in underdogs and God uses them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 to 31, under inspiration the apostle Paul wrote, "For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. There are three truths in these verses. Truth number one, God chooses the unlikely. Again, verse 26, For consider your calling, brethren, that not many were wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, Yes, God chooses the unlikely. God usually picks the person who isn't humanly wise. God usually picks the person who isn't influential. God usually picks the person who isn't nobility. God usually picks the unlikely person. God usually paints, in our metaphor, the gnarled, the distressed, and the broken trees. Adam and Eve. Jacob, and Job, and Ruth, and Peter, and Paul. Lady Huntington was an 18th century British noble, and she had a very thought-provoking Christian testimony. Sometimes she would stand up in a group of Christians and say that she had been saved from her sins by the letter M. She would then quote 1 Corinthians 1.26, Brothers, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. And then with a smile on her face, Lady Huntington would point out, the text reads, not many were of noble birth, but it does not read, not any were of noble birth. And hence, she said she was saved by the letter M. We can take truth number one to the bank, friends. God usually chooses the unlikely, and aren't we glad that he does? Truth two, God chooses the unlikely to neutralize the self-sufficiencies of the advantaged. God chooses the unlikely to neutralize the self-sufficiencies of the advantaged. I see that in verses 27 and 28. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. As you heard when I read the phrase, God has chosen, occurs three times in verses 27 and 28. So it's clear God chooses, but there's more to it. God chooses as he chooses for specific reasons, three of them. Reason one, to shame the wise. Reason two, to shame the things which are strong. And reason three, to nullify the things that are reasons for boasting. In some settings, there are plenty of persons who are smart and educated and strong and healthy and self-sufficient. Persons who are respected and popular, for now at least. But these advantaged, straight and perfect-looking trees often miss out on Jesus. And if that's the case, then these persons are too advantaged, too full of themselves, too busy to see God's DNA all over their blessings. Often these advantaged persons are too sophisticated to believe the simple message that Christ died the death that they deserve to die in order to give them the life they could never carve out for themselves. Often, these go-getters are really advantaged to the point of disadvantage. Don't be that kind of a tree. So far, truth one, God chooses the unlikely. Truth two, God chooses the unlikely to neutralize the self-sufficiencies of the advantaged. And third and last, we come to truth three. God chooses the unlikely to neutralize the self-sufficiencies of the advantage so that there will be no boasting. God chooses the unlikely to neutralize the self-sufficiencies of the advantage so that there will be no boasting. Verse 29. So that no man may boast before God. God hates Boasting. (laughs) The Bible tells us that heaven is a gated community. Not everyone makes heaven. Heaven is not some pretty celestial public access park open to everyone. Heaven is a gated community, which is a no boasting zone. A boastful word has never been spoken in heaven, and a boastful word never will be. All who make heaven will do so by God's grace in Christ. And that grace in Christ is received on earth by transferring one's trust to Jesus Christ alone. As a pastor for over 30 years, I've heard persons say to me that they hope they're good enough for heaven. What I say of myself is I know that I'm bad enough that I must cling to Christ to get me into heaven. I must cling to Jesus Christ's coattails, as it were, to be given heaven. Put another way, all who make heaven get it as a gift and none earn it as a wage. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are beautiful Verses that crystallize this concept of God's grace, this truth that God delights in giving the positive to persons who don't deserve it. That's grace. It says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one will boast. God hates boasting. So getting to heaven according to the scriptures has nothing to do with anyone's goodness. It has everything to do with God's grace. Sometimes I confess to you that my right foot is the last part of me to be sanctified when I drive a car. And if I'm late picking someone up at the airport or getting on a plane myself and I'm going down JFK and I'm speeding, I've done it. not proud of it. But if a police officer pulled me over and caught me speeding, told me how much over the speed limit I was and the fine that he should give me. He says, I'm not going to give you a fine today, Pastor Elliot. I'm going to. That's mercy. Not give me the bad I deserve again." But if he reached into his pocket and got his own wallet and got his own money and said, furthermore, it's Christmas. I want you to catch your flight and here's $100 of mine. Go in peace. That's Grace. That would be the officer giving me the good that I don't deserve. The last two verses of our passage for this morning, this afternoon, excuse me, are verses 30 and 31. And these verses are so very encouraging for the person who's transferred trust to Christ alone. Listen. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. These are great verses. But what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Well, Larry was in Christ Jesus. I'm told that back in 1967, at the Word of Life camp located in upstate New York. By faith, Larry took Jesus Christ as his personal Savior from sin. And that decision permanently put Larry Marie in Christ Jesus. And our verses for this afternoon teach us that there are at least three wonderful benefits for any and every person who is in Christ Jesus. Benefit one is righteousness. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom to us, wisdom from God, and righteousness. Second benefit for being in Christ Jesus is holiness. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, or holiness. And the third benefit for being in Christ Jesus is redemption. Still with verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, or holiness, and redemption. Quickly, very quickly, let me unpack these blessings for the person who is in Christ Jesus. And if you're not yet in Christ Jesus, may these blessings whet your appetite that you would want to be. The first benefit of being in Christ Jesus, according to the text, is righteousness. Righteousness is being made right with God. That being made right is because of being in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're old enough like I am to know of the famous picture in Life Magazine in the days of Camelot in Washington, D.C., when JFK was president. And there was a famous picture or two in Life Magazine, black and white, as I recall, of John Kennedy Jr., about four, three, four years old, Playing under his daddy the president's desk in the Oval Office. (laughs) John Jr. was made right to the civil or the Secret Service agents because he was in the president. He was in the president. The second benefit of being in Christ Jesus, the benefit of holiness or sanctification, means to belong to God and to be reserved for his use. And that belonging to God so that he will use you is because you are in Christ Jesus. Growing up, my parents loved to socialize and offer hospitality to their business associates and to their friends and neighbors. And so they had many dinner parties at our home. And I remember well as a younger person seeing the the dishes of certain snacks, salty snacks and certain candies and different dishes that were spread all around the house before the guests arrived. And I knew right well to keep my hands off those snacks and not to touch or take any of those candies. Why? Because they were reserved. They were set aside for the purpose of our guests. We also had hand towels that only came out to see the the sunlight (laughs) when the dinner party was on. And the towels were there for the guests. And don't you be washing your hands as the firstborn son in this family with that towel. It's set aside for the company's possession and use. The person who's in Christ Jesus is sanctified and made holy to belong to God and to be reserved for God's use because that person is in Christ Jesus. The third benefit of being in Christ Jesus, according to the text, the benefit of redemption. Redemption is being purchased out of the slave marketplace of sin by the blood of Christ and being set free to do what God wants done. As you know, in our city, in every city, there are drug addicts. Precious persons who are in total bondage to chemical substances. I want you to imagine with me a drug addict, a female drug addict, who desperately needs professional and medical intervention and treatment. But you can't afford these things. That being the case, your only hope is if someone else pays for the treatment and when she gets the treatment and it's successful and the addiction is broken, then the former addict is free to live life sober and clean. And the rescue of that addict is wrapped up in the donor of the money. The person who is in Christ Jesus has the unfading benefits of righteousness, holiness, And redemption, our music minister and his solo saying, Is it well with your soul? There are a few questions that are more important than that one. And I asked the same question that he did in song with different words. Are you in Christ Jesus? You can be this afternoon. Are you Righteous and holy and redeemed. You can be this afternoon. To wrap this up, it's true. God chooses the unlikely to neutralize the self-sufficiencies of the advantaged so that there will be no boasting. The weak don't boast. (laughs) They take Christ as Savior from sin They do that by placing their faith in Christ alone. And this is precisely how the weak are put in Christ and made to be righteous and holy and redeemed. I'd just like to take a couple of minutes to allow each of you to ponder before God, not before me. But just to reflect in silence, privacy, privacy, of where you're at with Christ. Where are you with Christ? Larry's with Christ. Will you ultimately be with Christ? What is often said is, life is short, enjoy it. What isn't said enough is that eternity is long, settle it. And so with humility and dependence on God, I won't draw this out, but I'd like to give you some help if you need to transfer your trust to Jesus and make Him Savior, even as Larry did in upstate New York in 1967. You would need to understand and believe that you've blown it, that you're not like God. You've sinned. And then you would need to Believe history and believe the Bible that Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. He loves you that much. And then you would need to side with history and the scriptures that Jesus didn't stay dead. He was raised and resurrected to life to show that his payment for sin is satisfactory to God. Then, right where you sit, you could transfer your trust from anyone or anything other than Jesus over to Jesus. Just tell God, I'm trusting Jesus. I want him to be my Savior and my hope. And God will hear that prayer. And God will save you. Lord, I pray for those who are wrestling with this right now. They didn't come to this service thinking they'd even be asked the question. Here we are. Help them, Lord, to step across the line from unbelief in Christ to belief in him. And I say it again, that dear Larry Marie, was in Christ Jesus before he left earth. And so now Larry is with Jesus in heaven. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. The base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Oh, the beauty of weakness. Because this is a complete memorial service, and we will not be going to a cemetery this afternoon, I invite you to please stand with me for a time of committal. Jesus said all of the following, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Friends, as we've gathered together this afternoon to lay to rest dear Larry's earthly house, I want to remind us that our gathering is not in vain. For we have gathered here in this church sanctuary on the basis of a forever sure and certain hope which is anchored to the word of a true and living God. And I want to share one more passage from that word with you now, First Thessalonians Verses 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord." Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Inasmuch as it pleased our Lord and Heavenly Father to take from our midst by gathering to himself this one whom we dearly love, we commit his earthly house to its final resting place, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, a place for safekeeping only until that great trumpet day, that glorious day when the treasure we now deposit into an urn for safekeeping is transformed and raised imperishable and glorified. Please pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, all that hands could do have we done. Where we leave off, do you take up and take care? Watch over This earthly house in holy remembrance until the promised resurrection. Bless the family that remains on earth. Secure them by your love. Instruct them by your word. Comfort them by your promises. Sustain them by your grace. Encourage them by your people. Warm them by the memories they hold dear. Heal them by your touch. Guide them by your Holy Spirit. Save them by your sacrifice. Precious Lord Jesus, send us away now to our homes and to the work that awaits us. In your love and in your dear name, amen. Please remain
3: standing. Amen. We now sing the closing song. It is finished.